What is the purpose of life? Well, that's a big question to take on early in the morning, isn't it? What is the purpose of life? I googled that question because, of course, you can Google everything now. And at least on the search engine I was using, when I, when I googled that, I got back an opportunity to look at 790, not 1,000, 790 million websites to help me figure out what the purpose of life is. I, I did not look at all 790 million this week, maybe half or something like that. No, I just kind of went to the, of course, the greatest source of authority and truth, Wikipedia. Trust everything that is said there. And, uh, you know, actually, as I, as I did, I, I was the first site I went to, and, and their opening lines I agreed with dead on. I mean, they were right on it. They said to, to have the discover the purpose of life, you have to answer three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Any purpose of life has to deal with those three questions. And I thought, man, that, that is good. That's, that is right on. And then it launched into about three days of reading. Pretty deep, pretty philosophical. I didn't understand most of the words. Different religions, different ways that man has tried to use to find the, the purpose of life. And I'm, and I'm reading through all this stuff. And you really can read it for like ever and ever and ever. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, after all these millennia, wouldn't you think somebody's found out the purpose of life by now and just said, here it is? You know, I was reminded, you remember that movie National Treasure? You remember the sidekick, Riley? He kind of, he kind of got frustrated because every time they found this big clue, it would just lead to another what? This is just another clue. And he, he finally says, can't you just find a clue that says, go here, find the treasure, spend wisely? I go, man, that's it right here. That's what I need. I just need somebody to say, here's the purpose. Go there and, and spend wisely. I like that idea. You know, I looked through a couple of the other sites. I think my favorite site was, uh, it was it, the, the, the title of the site was this, 142 quotes on the meaning of life. Opened it up, there was 143. <laughs> Apparently math is not the purpose of life. No, actually I said it was my favorite site. It, it was the most depressing site I read. I'm not saying every quote, but most of the quotes on that particular site were basically saying there is no purpose to life. There's no meaning. There's no truth. Just quit wasting your time. Just make one up, whatever works for you, and, and do that. And you know, and I started thinking that might be like a depressing site, but that actually is kind of the mantra of our society today, isn't it? Yeah, make, make your own truth. Make your own purpose. What, whatever works for you. And, and for us all to accept the fact that we're all going to find our own truth. We're all going to find our own purpose. There's a character quality very important for that. And that's tolerance. Tolerance. We're all going to tolerate each other's way of, of kind of finding our way in life. The, the only problem with that is that it actually implies there's nothing wrong out there. I, I don't know what world you're living in. My world has some things that are wrong. You, you see, when, when you're tolerant and everybody gets to find their own purpose, everybody gets to find their own truth, well, well what, if, what if truth for me is, is going into school and killing children? You can't say I'm wrong. I mean, that's, that's my way. Well, what if I really feel like, man, I'm on, the, I'm on the path to a meaningful life when I cheat on my mate? You know, I don't know about y'all, but I really feel like I'm honing in on the, on the truth of life when I lie and steal and cheat. 
You can't say I'm wrong. You got to tolerate. We all, you know, whatever works for me. So see, we live in this hypocritical society that says we need to celebrate everybody's ways. Nobody's ways are wrong, but yours is wrong. How does that work? You know, it's interesting, folks, and, and this is just my opinion. Intolerant America, we've actually grown uglier and meaner than we've ever been before. And here's why. Because it's not actually loving and it's not actually helpful to celebrate a dead end. I'm not loving you and I'm not helping you to to celebrate and applaud wrong answers. And there are wrong answers, aren't there? You know, I wonder, shouldn't we have seen this coming? I mean, we've been living in a culture now for, I don't know, 50 years, 75 years, maybe close to 100 years, where science... Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about the purpose of life. Science, science only deals with facts and figures, right? Science only deals with what you can prove in the lab. No, sir, no, ma'am. Science is a religion. Science has an agenda. And science is sometimes wrong. And science stepped into philosophy. And you know what? They answered two of our three questions. Remember, one question is, where do we come from? Other question, where are we going? Science answered two of those and said, you came from nothing and you are going to nothing. Wow, I came from nowhere and I'm going nowhere, but I'm supposed to find some grand meaning of life in between nothingness? Kind of hard to believe there's a big purpose to life when you came from nothing and you are returning to nothing. You see, this idea that that you and and your purpose, you and, and your truth, it doesn't actually answer any questions. It doesn't actually give us any direction in life. It actually robs us of life. And so what do we end up doing? We end up doing what we see people all around us doing. You kind of, you know, you scratch out a living. You try to pay your bills. You struggle and work through marriage. Fight loneliness. Battle the unfairness of it all. Maybe you're pretty good at that. Maybe you feel like you get there in a lot of that. Maybe you're not so good at some of that. What difference does it make? From nothing you came Nothing you return. You know, there are some, I think really a precious few, they're okay with that. that. That is good for me. That works for me. From nothing I came, nothing I return, I'll make it what I want in between. But for most of us, there's something in our soul that just does not resonate with that answer. It's interesting, as we move away from God, we find out, whoops, wait a minute, logic came from God. Science and math didn't give us logic. God gives us logic. God gives us what is right and what is wrong. It is God that gives us the meaning and the purpose of life. And I got good news for you, Riley. He doesn't send you on an endless hunt for clues. And and hopefully one day you'll get closer and closer to discovering. No, God just flat out says it. Here's the purpose of life. And he answers all three of our questions. Let's look and see how he does that this morning. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1. You'll find Colossians a little over halfway through your New Testament. Ephesians and Philippians on one side, Thessalonians and Timothy on the other. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. You're going to hear a lot of he's and a lot of hymns. Every he and every hymn is referring to Jesus. So it starts off by saying, he, that's Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. 
For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, the things you can see and the things you can't see. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And folks, here's the purpose of life. Underline it, circle it, put a star by it, go home and needlepoint it. That in everything he might be preeminent. There it is. Very simple, very straightforward. The purpose of life is that Jesus come to have first place in everything. Verse 19. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Did you hear all three questions answered? It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Where did we come from, Jesus? Why are we here, Jesus? Where are we going, Jesus? Folks, Jesus is the answer to all three of those questions. And I'm going to make the case in a little bit that Jesus is the answer to every question you've ever asked. Well, you mean the religious and theological and philosophical. No, no, no. Jesus is the answer to every single question you have ever asked. It'll take your Bible in some places to kind of unwrap what that means that Jesus is the answer. There's a few places you'll need to pray and say, hey, God, give me wisdom, give me insight to what it looks like that Jesus is the answer here. A few places we might have to say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you give me strength? Would you enable me to let Jesus be first place in this? But Jesus is the answer to everything. Now, you remember we're in a series right now called a mosaic. You see it there on the front of your bulletin. A, a, a mosaic takes different, different items, different pieces, and pulls them together so that together they make a bigger picture. And so we're pulling together different pieces, different pictures of Christ, and trying to get a fuller, bigger picture of Christ. And folks, that's not the goal of a series. That's the goal of our lives, isn't it? That moment we come to Christ, we want to begin a lifetime of growing, studying, learning more and more about Christ. We want to understand as much as we can so that we are responding in as a full a way to Christ as we can. So far, the first kind of piece of the picture we put in place was, we saw a couple of weeks ago, He's the Son of God. I mean, there is a God, and Jesus is the Son of God, and that demands our loyalty our obedience. It demands our faith. That's what response looks like there. He is the Son of God. Last week we saw He is the Lamb of God. In the Lamb of God we see that, that Jesus is God's provision. Without Jesus, you and I are... And folks, we're ugly. We're ugly, we're dirty, we're tainted in sin. That fills our life, especially in that moment that I'm thinking about God. It fills our life with guilt. It fills our life with fear. The Lamb of God removes the fear. The Lamb of God removes the guilt. And now I can respond to God in love, in freedom, in peace. And today we're going to see Jesus as the purpose of God. Jesus is God's purpose. You ever see anything? I wonder what God's doing up there. Jesus... 
That's what God is doing up there. Jesus is God's purpose. Jesus is God's work. And if it's God's purpose, guess who else's purpose it needs to be? Yours. It needs to be mine. Now we might ask, and I say we might ask, I'm saying that kind of rhetorically. I'm guessing very few in this room would ask this. But we might ask, okay, well, if, if Jesus is the purpose of life, is that a big enough purpose? I mean, I got a pretty big, important life here. I mean, my life's pretty big. I want my life to be big. I want my life to, to do something of impact. I want my life to, to do something of value. Is saying Jesus the purpose, is that big enough? Well, folks, think about what we just saw in this passage. It, our purpose, Jesus, who is that? Well, he is the image of the invisible God. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. When you look at Jesus, you are looking at the one who is the preeminent figure. Where? Wherever. Wherever you go in this life or the next. Wherever you go in the physical world, in physical creation, and wherever you go in the spiritual world. You ever been on the phone and say, I want to talk to somebody in charge? Yeah, man, when I, you know what? When I'm trying to get something accomplished, when I'm trying to do something important, I want to go to the top. I want to start at the top. Well, folks, wherever you go in life, Jesus is at the top. Jesus is the preeminent figure. He holds the first position anywhere and everywhere that you go in life. This one, Jesus, he's also the one who created everything. He, he put it all here and he holds it all together. It is also Jesus that is first place in this room right now, right? Jesus first place in the church. Man, wherever that church is gathering. You know, we've got some things in common, don't we? Well, yeah, we got, we're similar in some ways. We're also different in a lot of ways. We, we got, a, we got a, a, a church right now gathering over at Commonwealth 20 called the Heights at Midlothian. They're us. And we got some similarities with them. And, we're, and there's some differences between us. But you know what? There's also some of us that are gathering in China. And there's some that are gathering in Africa. And there's some that are gathering in, in Europe. And you know what? Sometimes the further away they get, maybe the less things that we have in common, right? Maybe some, some things in similar. Maybe, maybe a little bit more things different. But you know, really... As we come into this room and as they come into the room in China and as they come into the room in Africa and as they come into the room over at Commonwealth 20, the issue is not what kinds of things do we have similar and what kinds of things are we different. There's only one thing that counts that really makes us all the same. Did you see what it was in this passage? We're friends of God. That's the one thing everybody has in common. We're friends of God. We're friends of God because of how good we sing, right? No, no, no. We're friends of God because how much money we gave. No, no, that's not it either. We're friends of God because of how good and perfect we lived this past week. No, that wouldn't be it. Not, not for you over there. I saw how you lived this morning. No, no, that we're, we're, friends, we're friends of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Right? The one thing we all have in common is we have been reconciled. You know what reconciled means, doesn't it? We're not okay. We're not friends. We're at odds with each other. When you're reconciled, hey, we're friends again. We're, we're together again. The one thing we all have in common is we have been reconciled to God by the blood. Not by anything we've done, but by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, th and that makes us all one. And when we're all together, there's only one person that sits in the number one spot. Who's that? 
Oh, that'd be me. That's right. No, no. That would be sad, wouldn't it? No, Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're gathering in this room or in a theater or in a hut or under a tree or on this continent or on that continent. When the reconciled of God, when the friends of God gather, one person sits in the top position and his name is Jesus Christ. We also learn in this passage, when you look at Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells in him. In other words, when you look at Jesus, nothing's missing. There's nothing about God that is missing when you look at the person of Jesus Christ. So folks, in summary, wherever you go in space, wherever you go in time, Jesus is number one. He is God's purpose in this world. He is God's purpose for your life that in everything Jesus might come to have first place. That's it. No more clues. No more searching, no more hunting. It's Jesus is first. Now, yeah, use my Bible, use prayer, use the Holy Spirit and kind of have to start unwrapping what that looks like and means, but it means Jesus is number one. So we go home and we needlepoint it and put it on the wall. Jesus is number one in this house. Maybe we use it as a screensaver. Maybe periodically when we're speaking in a life group class or we're talking to another Christian at work, oh yeah, Jesus is number one in my life. Oh, yes, sir. Jesus number one in our home. Awesome. What does that actually mean? You know, when I, when I read Colossians chapter 1, it's pretty clear Jesus is number one in Colossians 1, isn't it? I tell you, when I read that passage, there, to me, there's not much a bigger, greater description of Jesus than that right there, what we just read in Colossians 1. I read that passage and I go, wow. I hope that's what you did when I got to the end of that. Wow. I think that's what it means when Jesus is number one in our lives. He's the wow of our lives. He's the wow when we wake up. He is the wow when we go to bed. He is the wow on the good days or the wow on the bad days. He is the wow that motivates us and moves us. He is the wow when we're talking. Because don't we always talk about the wows in our life? Man, if it never comes out, if we're never talking about it, he must not be a wow. And if he's not a wow, he must not be number one in our life. But I think we can break it down even more than that. I, I, you know what? I said a moment ago that Jesus is not just the answer to three big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? I said Jesus is the answer to every question. I thought maybe to kind of get a feel for what we're talking about here, I could answer a couple of questions. And I just kind of pulled five random questions. Now, you don't really know that they're random. The fact that I planned it out, wrote it out, and I'm now giving it to you by memory would mean that it's not random, would it? But I promise you, when I started this message, it was random in my mind. Will you all just take my word for that? I just kind of grabbed five que questions I hear people asking. Questions I know that are out there in our culture and our community. And I said, okay, if we were to ask this question, what does it sound like? What does it look like that Jesus is the answer? Well, let's think about that. Why should I love you, serve you, or forgive you? You hateful, rotten person. We do ask that question, by the way, don't we? Sometimes we ask it about our mate. Sometimes maybe it's a family member or a friend that's disappointed us. Sometimes it's an enemy. And we look at them and say, why, why should I love? Why should I serve? Why should I forgive? You're just taking advantage of me. You know, I've been trying to love and serve and forgive you. I don't think it's made any difference in this relationship. I think it's made things worse. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing your part. Why? Question. Why should I love, serve, and forgive you? Answer, Jesus 
Jesus loved, served, and forgave me when I didn't deserve it. Answer, Jesus told me to love, serve, and forgive you whether you deserve it or not. Answer, Jesus, people are always watching us relate with people, aren't they? And so when I love and serve and forgive, I have an opportunity to display Christ's love, service, and forgiveness in others, and that perhaps leads them to make Jesus number one in their lives. And when I love, serve, and forgive, and people don't deserve it, well, then in that moment right there, I have a little bit of a chance to understand my Savior a little bit more, don't I? See, I get to understand now that that must be what it was like when Jesus loved, served, and forgave me when I wasn't deserving it, when I wasn't changing, and when I wasn't responding the way I should have responded. So when somebody's treating you that way, you get a little bit more insight to what Jesus did for you, which should lead to a greater intimacy with your Savior, shouldn't it? Why should you love, serve, and forgive? Answer, Jesus. That's it. It has actually nothing to do with whether they'll change or whether they'll do it. The answer is Jesus. How about this question? Man, how do you respond to, and you could just say bad news. How do I respond to a job loss? How do I deal with a a bad health report? How do I deal with a failure, a, a loss of some sorts? Answer, Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means you make Jesus the purpose of your job loss. It means you make Jesus the purpose of that bad health report. It means you make Jesus the purpose of that failure or that, that thing that you lost. So, what, what, what do you mean make him the purpose? It means now that every way I look at that, Jesus is the answer. Hey, Jesus, this has come into my life. Whether you caused it, whether you allowed it, it's here. What do you want me to know about you through this? What can I experience about your goodness and faithfulness that maybe I wouldn't have even been looking for had I not gone through this loss? Hey, Jesus, as I go through this loss, people are watching me. Because when, when we've lost something, when we're hurting, when there's failure, we, you know, we cry and we throw up dirt in the air and people watch us. Hey, Jesus, as people watch me go through this loss, may they see that ultimately you're my hope and victory, not what I lost. Jesus becomes the purpose. Jesus, as I walk through this, I just want to know you. I want to know you better as I walk through this. Different kind of question. Let's, let's go now, not, not maybe what we're dealing with in a practical sense day in and day out, but maybe more of a political question or, or more of a moral question. Big thing going on in our, in our society in the last year. It's getting bigger right now. I think it's going to be in the Supreme Court at the end of this month. Same-sex marriage. Man, that's something that's being thrown at us at work, at school, everywhere we go. Man, we're not just supposed to be okay with it. We're supposed to celebrate it. We're, we're supposed to actually be very loud and vocal about how much we think this is, just, this is the best thing in the world. Okay, my purpose here in that question has to be what? Starts with a J, ends with an S. Okay. Tell you what, we'll bring Dale out here. We'll start a whole thing over again. Yeah, my purpose in responding to this issue is Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means I need to know what does Jesus think about this issue and how would Jesus respond to this issue because whatever I think and whatever I respond must show Jesus, right? Because that's the purpose of walking through that issue. Okay, you know, Jesus, by the way, has actually been misquoted as having nothing to say about homosexuality. 
Have y'all heard that? Oh, Jesus doesn't say anything. Now, I know why people say that. What, what they're saying is when you open up your Bible and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you got the red letter edition, you know, they, they painted the words of Jesus red. You know, well, the words homosexual is not even in there. Jesus never even addresses that. Now, I'm confused as to why they think the fact that Jesus didn't address it means he's completely for it. I'm not making that connection. But a little reminder here, I'm pretty sure most of us would agree with this. Folks, you don't look to just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the words of Jesus, do we? Every word from Genesis to Revelation is the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen? Every word in here, and it's addressed a lot in here, Old and New Testament, not one time in a positive sense. Not once is it in a positive sense. Jesus actually talks about marriage a good bit. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 19, a group of leaders come and they ask him about divorce. And Jesus says not so much about divorce. He says, hey, let's, let's do this. Instead of talking about divorce, let's talk about God's idea behind marriage. Oh, okay, now we're, now we're talking about the issue, right? What, what was God intending when he thought up marriage? And this is how Jesus said it. Not how I said it. Not my interpretation of the Bible. Not how Southern Baptist... This is the words of Jesus Christ. He said, this is God's idea on marriage. God created a male. Quote, Jesus Christ. And then God, in his craziness, created a female. Imagine this. And then God told the male, okay, you leave your house. And he told the female, now you leave your house and you come together and you create a new house. Folks, I promise you, if you read Matthew 19 verses 5 and following, and you see Jesus' idea behind marriage, you will not pick up in there that you can mix and match in this recipe. Jesus spoke very clearly about what God's idea behind a marriage is. So I'm thinking about now, how do I respond? My purpose is Jesus. Okay, I know what Jesus thinks. Now, how do I respond? You know what? That's actually a little bit trickier. How do we respond to people who, who believe the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, pushing the wrong thing? You know, I actually, I can take you to some passages and I can show you Jesus pretty angry. I can show you Jesus angry. I can show you Jesus chastising and correcting but then I can take you to another set of passages and show you Jesus really pretty patient, pretty compassionate, very, very forgiving. Jesus, which one am I supposed to do? Now, a little hint, he tends to be angrier when the people we're dealing with should already know the answer. They've already been taught. They're saved. They have the spirit of the living God in them. With that, a little bit more correction but when they're as lost as a ball in tall weeds, they don't know God's word, they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them to guide them in that word, then Jesus tends to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more compassionate. So here I am. It, it's a person. It's a situation at work. I think what I got to do is say, Jesus, I know what you think about this. Would you give me wisdom now in how I respond? Give me, give me wisdom in where I go. I can't tell you, oh, here's the formula that works every single time. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide that. Here's the purpose. The purpose is not winning a debate. The, the purpose is not anger and hatred. And the purpose is certainly not political correctness. The purpose is that Jesus is seen. And you have to ask for wisdom. How does Jesus need to be seen in this moment? Always in truth, right? Always in truth. Another, another question, right or left? How many times have you asked right or left in your life? It'd be in the thousands, wouldn't it? What do I mean by right or left? I'm not, I'm not actually talking about street directions. Aren't we always, I mean, do I take this job or that job? 
Do I take that job or stay at the one I have? Do, do we move? Is now the time to move? Do we leave this house and go to that house? Do I go to state or do I go to university? We're constantly asking questions. Man, which way do I go? Answer, make Jesus the purpose of your decision. Let the, the mate, the kids, the friends who are watching you make a decision. Let them see that what you're evaluating here is not the cost or the expense or, or what you're going to make or who's going to be there. Hey, my biggest purpose in making this decision is Jesus. And so maybe I'm looking, well, now see, if I go right here, will that aid me in knowing Jesus, serving Jesus, coming closer to Jesus? Or maybe is there something in that decision that would actually hinder Make it more difficult. Maybe, and I think this is probably the case in a lot of it, you and I would look at right and left and say, you know, I'm not sure I can tell the difference. I, I, I think either way I go, there's the opportunity to keep Jesus number one in my life. There's the opportunity to make Him purpose. What do I do then? Man, then you just praise God that you got options and make whatever decision you want. It doesn't matter because it won't be a bad decision if no matter what decision you make, the purpose is Jesus Christ. It's a win-win situation. Another question, last question. How did I get here? How was this world created? We just answered that, didn't we? Jesus put everything here. Jesus put me here. Jesus holds it all together, and it is to Jesus that I return. And God's purpose is that everything in between, Jesus is seen to have first place in every area of my life. So no matter how I look at creation or existence or my life, I have to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Folks, I can go on and on and on. We just stop looking at every relationship, every situation, every discussion, every question. And I say, my purpose in that is Jesus Christ. And then, yeah, I've got to pick up my Bible and prayer and Holy Spirit and say, unwrap that for me. Help me. Show me what that looks like. But the purpose is Jesus and folks, that's everything in your life. Not, I, I mean, go home and take a nap for the purpose of Jesus. Enjoy a good meal. Go on vacation. Enjoy family. Enjoy friends. Work and play. All with the mindset of how do I know and serve Jesus and show him to be number one in this. Now, if you're like me, there might be some attitudes or some activities in your life you look at and you think, there's no way I can make Jesus the purpose of that then what do you need to do? That attitude, that action needs to be removed because it's in the way of the purpose of life. It's got to be taken out. Folks, when you look at Jesus, you're looking at the purpose of your life. And praise God for that because now you're looking at the answer to every question you have. Amen? Let's pray.